Where does it go? Where does it go? All of that cast off junk, where does it go? Welcome to Where Does It Go, a podcast about the life cycles of people, places, and things. I'm Emily. And I'm Sarah. And today, Sarah, I'm going to take you on an adventure to a coastline because we've had fun taking adventures to coastlines in the 80s. And so that's what we're going to do today. Yes! Are uh, we in I'm, the 80s? Yes. And I am referencing Sarah's episode about the great syringe tide and where medical waste goes. Because uh, we went to the Jersey Shore in the 80s in that episode. And in this episode, we're going to start by going to the Breton coast, the, the coast of Brittany, which is a, a region in France. It's been sort of overseen by France and England and is very uh, also regional in its identity. So I apologize if and when I get any sort of identity understanding of what it means to be Breton or in Brittany incorrect. But picture it, 1980s, Brittany in the Iroise coast. Uh, You are a farmer. You are a local. You are walking on the beach. And what do you see on the beach? You're used to seeing driftwood and rocks and things like that. But you see something bright orange. And you go up to it. And you realize it is a Garfield the Cat landline phone. What? (laughs) And a Garfield the Cat landline phone has washed up on the shore. And from the early 1980s onward, after there was a very large storm in uh, along the breton coast these pieces of and sometimes entire garfield landline phones so phones that required you to push the little buttons and plug them into the wall start washing up on the coast and it's been a major source of confusion because they still to this day wash up on the shore so that is 30 plus years edging up on 40 years of Garfield phones showing up on this coast. And so (laughs) these phones are also the, so it is not just like a little phone you hang on a wall and it's got a painting of Garfield on it. It has Garfield's head and Garfield's eyeballs and the eyes opened. And I think there's a tail involved and like you pick up his back to pick up the phone. Like, these are neat little items in terms of uh, memorabilia about Garfield. But they are completely unrelated to Brittany and its history. So, this has been sort of a a regional anomaly. And last year, uh, campaigners from the Aravillansu, definitely not pronouncing that right, an anti-litter group, made the novelty phone a symbol of the plastic pollution on the beaches in the area because Garfield phones are not the only plastic that are showing up on the coast. Yeah, I guess Legos are showing up somewhere. They are. I'm going to talk about the Legos too. I'm sorry, Lego. Oh, for God's sake, you're right. <laughs> you're right, but also I'm probably going to pluralize it with an S and I am sorry to it's with Danish. I don't know. Sorry to the uh, probably Scandinavian country of origin for Lego, but I'm probably going to say Legos at some point. So 
plastic pollution shows up on every beach on the planet. We know this. And so they use this very like iconic, strange, and also very complete. Like the, the pieces of the phone were very obviously pieces of phone. It wasn't just little like orange chips of things. They used it as sort of their uh, symbol of the plastic pollution. And because of this new campaign, the local farmer who is, he's pretty sure he first saw, he's the first one to see the Garfield telephone. And I took you on this little walk as, as this guy. He knew the location of the container. So this was a bunch of Garfield phones held in a shipping container. And the shipping container had likely been bucked off of a ship and then washed into a rock fissure uh, that is right along the Breton coast and is only visible at low tide. So if you're a local and you're walking around a whole bunch, you might end up seeing this giant container full of little Garfield phones. <laughs> and so he took he took the anti-litter group to the rocky fissure to see it. And it's too dangerous to access because this is a rocky coast. This is not like some sort of white sand beach where, you know, you're laying out all glamorous. This is kind of a rough coast. And so the container's inaccessible and they don't know how much, how many Garfield phones are left. There isn't uh, a known manifest of the Garfield phones, how many were in the container. It's not really known how many have been found and it's not really known how many remain because they're not sure which ship the cargo uh, container got thrown off of. So unfortunately, because they can't get to the container, they're just going to have Garfield phones washing up on this beach into perpetuity uh, until that container is empty. And it's not known entirely whether they are just like, Getting right, getting right out of the container during a storm or whatever, and then right up onto the beach. They may be going along the seafloor. They may get caught up in a current. It may be only parts of them that are getting caught up and brought to the shore. And I'll talk a bit about ocean currents during this uh, little episode. But so the, the theme of this episode is where does charismatic marine debris go? And I'm going to talk about charismatic marine debris because it's funny stories, but also because... Uh, Notable marine debris, particularly uh, container ships that contain like funny things like a giant shipment of Garfield phones that are showing up in a region in France on the beach. It's just so undignified. There's bits of Garfield. Uh, <laughs> you know, I always wanted one of those phones. Me too. Or one of, the, or one of those cat clocks that like has oh, the little yeah. moving eyes and the tail. Yeah, cat accessories are pretty fun. Uh, and and uh, Jim Davis will license anything. You can get Garfield on everything. The reason I'm talking about charismatic marine debris is because it comes to people's attention and then it is something that can be used symbolically or emblematically to then get people out to clean up beaches. So like this anti-litter group made the phone a symbol of their plastic pollution in the area, especially on beaches, but it wasn't something it wasn't the only thing that washed up my probably wasn't even the main thing that washed up because it's one cargo container versus the entire ocean worth of 
plastic crap that gets thrown into it and then washed ashore. So that's one place that charismatic marine debris goes is into your memory. And I'm going to talk about the Lego that Sarah was talking about. Now I'm going to, I'm going to try so hard not to use an S, but I'm going to talk <laughs> about the Lego that Sarah was talking about because it is memorable and it also brings attention to plastic garbage washing up on beaches. So that's the Garfield phones of the 80s. A friend of mine sent me an article about the resolution. They, they found the container ship and it was exciting. Uh, and it, they're going to wash up forever. And unfortunately, because they're plastic, they're going to last forever. Plastic lasts so long. It is such a ridiculously stable material. That's part of why it's so useful. It doesn't oxidize and leach garbage into you as fast as, say, aluminum or, or um, not aluminum's not what I'm thinking of, but like, I don't know, brass or paper or whatever. It's, you know, it's used for a lot of medical equipment and things like that. But it's also used for novelty items because it's still cheap. Now, we're moving forward to 1997 and a container filled with millions upon millions of Lego pieces fell into the sea off the coast of Cornwall. So Cornwall and Brittany are, I guess, geographically similar regions in the way that like we could say like Thailand and Burma or Myanmar are geographically similar reasons. Completely different countries, very different land masses, but kind of in the same part of the world. Mm-hmm. So Cornwall, so please... Cornish folks and Bretons don't come for me. I, I am aware that I'm being general. That's kind of like, I mean, it's kind of like saying that Maine and North Carolina are similar geographic regions. They kind of are, depending on your scale. So Lego falls into the sea. It, in it, Because Lego pieces are small and kind of floaty, particularly because they have air pockets in them so that you can connect the, the bricks together. They have been washing up on Cornish beaches since they fell into the sea. Uh, there's a full manifest, a known manifest for these little Lego. So it is actually known how many fell in the sea. Uh, like say there, 353,264 plastic daisies fell into the sea. It all happened in, on 13th of February, 1997. A container ship Tokyo Express off the coast of Land's End. Uh, headed to New York, uh, was hit by a wave described by its captain as a once-in-100-year phenomenon. The ship was tilted 60 degrees one way, so that's from from straight up and down, 60 degrees one way, and then 40 degrees the opposite way. So they were just, like, whipped 100 degrees during in, in one wave. It's kind of amazing this ship still exists. <laughs> uh, but as a result, 62 containers fell off about 20 miles off of Land's End, like I said. About 4.8 million pieces of Lego fell into the sea. Also, coincidentally... Uh, Holy mo- moly. Yeah. Uh, I feel like you would really need to make sure to wear shoes on that beach. Yeah. So, uh, at, in the 90s, a woman named Tracy Williams remember, it runs a Facebook na- page now that documents Lego discoveries... And they're pretty sure that Legos have gotten all the way to Melbourne, Australia at this point. And so that's through 
ocean current movement. Uh, and Tracy Williams has been sort of involved with this since since the 90s when this happened. She remembered that kids would gather up buckets of the Lego and sell them. And so she's been sort of tracking this as a citizen scientist. But then the U.S. oceanographer Curtis Ebbsmeyer has tracked the Lego since it spilled. He's been an oceanographer who has used charismatic marine debris to track ocean currents. Uh, and so it's Curtis's position that they've only been definitively able to show that it's shown up in Cornwall. But there's possibilities of getting as far as Melbourne, Australia, uh, getting as far as Florida and the United States. But it's kind of unknown where these little bits of Lego could have gone because they aren't as retrievable. And I'll get to something that Curtis Ebbesmeyer worked on that was retrievable. Uh, so he he contends that the pieces could have drifted drifted up to 62,000 miles, which Holy is... Holy moly. That's almost three times around the equator. So they could just, like, be anywhere on Earth at this point, beach-wise. They, can't, they couldn't be, like, in the middle of Kansas or something unless someone carried them there. But they could have floated to any beach... <laughs> And they could keep going because it's plastic. They're not, they may break down into microplastics eventually, but because they are plastic and because they are also uh, in cooler environments and some of the UV exposure, the UV light is filtered through the ocean. They're getting some UV exposure, but less than they would if exposed in open air. The one, the Lego that people are finding still is almost perfect, almost exactly like you'd get out of a package. Uh, they've found the container, and it's at the bottom of the sea, but the Lego, some of the pieces float. And then also, unfortunately, they've been finding them inside the guts of birds and fish. You know, there was a big to-do about sea turtles eating plastic straws which turned out to be not much of a thing honestly uh but all the crap that gets into the ocean gets you know any sort of animal that's looking for something to eat is going to try to eat it especially have you ever watched a pelican try to figure out if they can eat something yes it's pretty hilarious they will often try to eat capybaras and capybara babies i don't know why but they can't because the their beaks are way too big small like too narrow so and then they don't really like stab or jab or anything they just try to like grab them between their beaks the upper and lower beak and so it's just this goofy pelican like trying to maw on a little baby capybara capybaras are enormous they are yeah the babies are the size of like a medium dog yeah the big ones are the size of like a medium pig (laughs) I know, they're so big. Anyway. (laughs) So one thing that all this Lego all over this beach does is because it is very charismatic, it is iconic, it's like there's toys all over this beach. People pick them up. And they also are willing to, in their little hunt for Lego, pick up other garbage that they find. And so local groups like uh, this Martin Dory uh, runs a two-minute beach clean in Cornwall, where he encourages groups of people to just show up and clean for two minutes. And they pick up the litter, they get it, you know, 
into the garbage and that's two minutes of garbage that's not there anymore and the draw of the charismatic marine debris is it gets people to do it so it has some utility yeah it's it's at least something that people have attached to like the two-minute cleanup or the anti-litter group as a way to get people to pay attention to something and then like show some agency you know show some agency through going ahead and actually doing some cleaning the the next charismatic marine debris we're, we're bringing back our friend curtis curtis ebbsmeyer and we're going to talk about the friendly floaties <laughs> oh no so the friendly floaties float uh, 29,000 yellow ducks, red beavers, blue turtles, and green frogs were thrown out of a container sh- or out of a ship in a container into the Pacific Ocean and like slap in the middle of the Pacific Ocean in 1992. Now, what Curtis Ebbsmeyer did when, and, and also James Ingram, when they heard about it, They were like, holy cabooses. This is not a direct quote. They were excited because this is 29,000 items that float for them to try to retrieve. And they know exactly where they were released in the ocean. And so typically an oceanography study for currents would release 50 to 1,000 drift bottles. So you have... 29 times as many items released at once. And if you can get yourself and people trying to find them on beaches and in oceans and reporting them, then you can see where ocean currents have drawn all of these floating items. And because they were, they were uh, the type of floating items that are fully sealed, they don't have a little hole in the bottom, they took on no water. So they were able to recover just a ton of them. And so they've been able to develop models from tracking where these friendly floaties have been found to better understand ocean currents. Now I'm sounding excited about this, but this is like a lot of crap that was just kind of tossed into the ocean accidentally. And it happens a lot. And the only reason we know about this is because Uh, these oceanographers were able to make lemonade out of this lemon and get a lot of information from it. There's even a, who wrote the very hungry caterpillar? Uh, I don't know. His first name was Scott, wasn't it? No, let me, let me find the book. I was like, you probably have the book. I do. I, um, we have a blanket made by my Nana for my daughter, Eric Carl. Okay, I was I just looked it up. Eric Carl. <laughs> yeah, Eric Carl wrote a book, Ten Little Rubber Ducks, and it's about where all the ducks went, and it talks about the factory and them getting thrown off of the ship. It's a really charming book, but it also indicates that these this stuff just went everywhere, and actually, mm-hmm. like one duck family adopts one of the little ducks, which is very sweet, but it's also like. These are interacting with wildlife in a way that is probably not very productive. So that uh, that spill, you know, hay was made out of that spill, uh, or lemonade, as it were, was made out of that spill. There are other items that have been spilled that float 
that have been used for oceanography uh, that are kind of charismatic. Uh, and one of them is the Great Shoe Spill of 1990. Uh, and it was a shipping accident on the Hansa Carrier. It's a carrier ship that went ahead and lost a shipment of Nike shoes. And it was very notable because people kept having Nike shoes <laughs> wash up on the, the coast of Northern Washington and British Columbia uh, and just like all these shoes showing up. So again, Curtis Ebbesmeyer, this, the Wikipedia entry says seized the opportunity and <laughs> when a, he, he works a lot with beachcombers and with beachcombing events. Cause there are lots of people that just walk around on the beaches and pick stuff up. I love doing that. I have a collection of rocks from doing that when I was a kid. There's and, YouTube videos of people that go and uh, pretty much the the channels in mm-hmm. in England and the stuff they find and the stuff on the beaches they find there is pretty amazing. Like sea glass, a lot of people cl- collect sea glass. That's just glass that's been polished uh, by the ocean. Exactly. And I guess that's a charismatic piece of sea debris, all the mm-hmm. glass, and then it's taken out and used for art. Uh, but because a lot of times you can't tell how the glass got in the ocean, it's hard to tell what it's telling you when it gets out of the ocean or out of a lake or things like that. Uh, another major spill of floating items was 34,000 ice hockey gloves that got washed off the Hyundai Seattle, which is a boat or ship, I guess, in 1994. Uh, and the Nikes actually started showing up once there was an ocean current reversal uh, on the coast of Oregon in April and May. So it provided a lot of information about how the Pacific Ocean currents cycle annually and where they go. So that's one place where it went. Oh, and the friendly floaties. Uh, this ties into more recent events. But they were on a ship called the Ever Laurel. Owned by the Evergreen Shipping Company. The Evergreen Shipping Company is also the owner of the ship that just got stuck in the Suez Canal. (laughs) Oh, no. And so they have been involved. (laughs) They've been involved. (laughs) Well, and one thing to keep in mind, I didn't mention this, but uh, with drift bottle recoveries for oceanographers, they, they get about 2% of those 500 2000 back uh so they'll get about two percent of the information they could get but with all the friendly floaties including like the sixty-one thousand nike shoes that they were already tracking uh they got how many did they get back about a 4.1 percent recovery rate maybe a little higher so it's been very useful uh in terms of getting people to participate in picking stuff up off the beaches because it's very charismatic. There have been books about it and songs and things. And then also for information for oceanographers. So uh, that's where all of those things go. And then ultimately they don't go anywhere because uh, they are plastic or plastic and foam. Um, there's probably some leather or cotton or something in a Nike shoe, but lots of plastic. Uh, and one last 
charismatic sea debris uh, that has captured people's attention. Although it's not charismatic in a positive way. Oh, no. (laughs) Is the Salish Sea Shoe Mystery. Since August 20th, 2007, at least 20 detached human feet have been found along the coasts of the Salish Sea. What? British Columbia, Canada, and Washington. And I think like feet- medical waste people's feet. No, well, not medical waste. So it people will be walking along the beach and find a shoe, and then they'll peek in the shoe, and there's a foot still in it. No. Yeah, and there have been a lot of them, at least 20 of them. Why? So here's why, uh, or best guess of why. Feet are... A lot of these are from people who have gone missing, either uh, ended up in the ocean accidentally or uh, unfortunately died by suicide, things like that. But the, the reason that the feet wash up versus any other body part is because they are in a shoe oh. that can float. And then the shoe also protects... The foot from decomposing. Mother trucker. Yeah. Instead of sinking, it floats and is carried along by ocean currents. And so because it's encased in a shoe, it's less likely to get eaten by something like a shark. And then uh, because it's just floating on the surface. I mean, there are animals that eat off of the surface, but there are a lot more animals that do work of consuming decomposing things on the floor of the ocean. Uh So this became... A big to-do. And I remember the last one that was found. uh, The last one was found in 2019. And people were like, shoes are still washing up. And that one was particularly mysterious because they couldn't figure out who the shoe... Well, no, they found two. I'm sorry. They found both feet. Which is apparently like extraordinarily rare to find both feet. Uh, It's your lucky day. You found a matching set. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, where's the Salish Sea? So the Salish Sea is just off the coast of where British Columbia and Washington kind of have a border. Okay. That area. So Mm -hmm. northern, northwestern Washington, southwestern British Columbia. I'm I'm thinking like shipping lanes then. It's like kind of major shipping lane. Exactly. It's uh, two very high density population areas compared to the rest of both of the states because you've got the seattle tacoma area and then you've also got vancouver and then you've got very active shipping and you've got uh sort of very active beach attendance compared to further north or further south so I just wanted to mention this because the shoes with the feet in them then go to the medical examiner and the police and they try to identify who it is. And then they're probably dealt with like medical waste and incinerated uh-huh. or possibly returned to the people who are the family of the foot owner, uh, <laughs> depending. This here is grandpa's foot. Yeah. <laughs> so this is not 100% new of a phenomenon. There have been 20 since 2007. So that's almost a little over one a year. But in 1887, a leg in a boot washed up on a Vancouver beach and it was like paraded through town. It was a curio 
of whose leg was this and things like that. And <laughs> forensic science, through town. <laughs> yeah, forensic science wasn't exactly what it is today. You know, whether or not whether or not what it is today is what it needs to be is a different subject. But in 1887, especially on the West Coast, in fairly recently settled by immigrants or like emigrants because these areas were obviously settled prior to 1887 but they had been recently resettled by resettlers aka colonizers and a lot of times places like Seattle and Vancouver kind of had a rough start the people that showed up initially were the people who were not necessarily the most like reputable respectable citizens Uh and so you know who knows who's leg that was in that boot and they fell (laughs) into the sea and then their boot floated so so because i have a cartoon mind as Mm -hmm. we've discussed earlier i'm just imagining like the parade around this this leg in the boot and like people arguing who gets the lucky leg that day and like (laughs) there's like this all all this fanfare and floats and like people are cheering for the lucky leg in the boot (laughs) (laughs) i'm thinking of it like stand by me where they were like kids coming to see the boot on the beach and then some adults got involved to like but then because you know it's kind of an interesting thing you know like it turns into what you were imagining (laughs) so it's charismatic marine debris usually does not go away although i bet that boot in in that leg have decomposed since 1887 yeah uh but the amount of garbage in the sea is very unfortunate But the utility of charismatic marine debris is it can get people to actually think and talk about all the crap that's in the ocean. And if you go pick up some Legos or go search for a foot and then pick up some trash on your way for two minutes, then you've done at least a tiny bit. Not that individuals are the ones who are going to need to get this done. Mostly companies are the ones that are going to need to get this done. You can do a little something. I'm not trying to discourage people from taking personal action. I'm more just saying that accountability on a corporate level would do a lot more agreed one uh one person in one of these articles and i don't know which one uh made the point that it would be really nice if the companies like lego or whoever made the garfield phones uh actually helped pay for the cleanup I'm surprised that nobody has like really really pushed that but you know corporations don't pay taxes or you know stuff like that they they're people and they have all these rights more rights than we have so well and they just found the shipping container with all the garfield phones and i think they know where the lego container is but it could easily just be at the bottom of the ocean and so it may be the case that they just uh, can't get it they either just can't get it or the people who are in the region don't have the means and the time and the ability to get some legal entity to require them to, because these are also like international companies and international shipping agreements and stuff. Yeah. So, and they don't have an Aaron Brockovich there or whatever. No. Or if they do, she's too busy doing something else. (laughs) (laughs) Too busy making sure people have clean drinking water. Yeah. Like this is on the list of things to take care of, but it might not be at the top. Garfield phones <laughs> might not be at the top. It's on her list. <laughs> It'd be great if it was at the top, meaning like that everything else was taken care of, and now let's clean up the Garfield phones. That would be great. <laughs> but I feel like we're not there as a people. 
No. I mean, I I don't want to sound all moralistic on everyone, but um, we could try, maybe, to buy more secondhand stuff so that it isn't traveling on shipping containers. Um, That's true. And you can buy Garfield phones on eBay. Truth. So. Maybe we should go do that. I'm going to look on eBay. Let me see how much they are. It's on my list. It's on my list of, okay, Garfield phone, even though I have no landline to my house. (laughs) Just turn it into a phone stand for your your cell phone. (laughs) Wow, they're like a hundred bucks. Yeah, no surprise. They were pretty hot, like back in the, back in the olden times when I'm from. They are really cute. They are very cute. I occasionally will see them at Scrap Exchange um, mm-hmm. before the pandemic, and I actually went to Scrap Exchange, which is a cool like secondhand thrift store here uh, where we live in North Carolina, and they are always nasty and dirty. So yeah, these are all like super scratched up. Yeah, I, I mean, people I, used them. It was probably like. The teenager's phone or, like, the first phone you bought when you had an apartment or in college or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they're also, like, 35 years old minimum. <laughs> so, you know, we're all a little worse to, worse for the wear than we were 35 years ago. You can still get the Felix the Cat clocks, though, FYI. Like, Aw. Yeah. Cool. The ones that lay, their tail goes back and forth and their eyes go back and forth. Mm-hmm. I love charismatic plastic crap. I do, unfortunately. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I also like buying it secondhand. So yes, me too. It's always fun to find like the old, old like stuff that was popular when I was a kid, like the the Garfield phone, or find weird like. G.I. Joe's that my brother and I would have played with or like uh, we just had that episode about the rock what, what was the Ken doll we talked about oh, Earring Magic Earring Ken, Magic Ken. Yeah. yes yeah I love some charismatic plastic crap yes agreed and I'd say making charismatic plastic crap into a useful figurehead for cleanup efforts makes a lot of sense and oh, definitely. Evergreen shipping. Come on now. Get your junk together, people. <laughs> <laughs> Quite literally. Mm-hmm. Stop throwing stuff in the ocean. I don't know. Figure it out. Maybe they should have like, and I'm sure somebody has suggested this, that they have some kind of cheap tracking app tracking like they beacon on the containers mm-hmm. so if they fall in the ocean like we can immediately find them so lego isn't uh washing up until the sun goes you know supernova i mean it may be the case that a they can do that and don't tell people because then they can't be held accountable for it or b they don't do it so that they cannot be held accountable for it and they can just... i didn't think about that part of it I just, i'm just guessing know. <laughs> just guessing yeah <laughs> <laughs> so that's where it goes it goes into the sea and then it goes on the coast and then kids pick them up and sell them 
<laughs> and if you go to Brittany or Cornwall and you uh, go in a two-minute cleanup and get some cool junk, or if you just go on the uh, go to the uh, beach and find some cool junk while you're cleaning it up, you can uh, tweet at us and show us your cool beach junk, and we'll thank you for uh, cleaning up the beaches for us. And heck yeah, yeah. And when I go to the beach, I tend to pick up trash too. Like oh, sure. if it's around me, I'll do that too. I usually bring a trash bag with me when I go to the beach. Yeah. Just because I usually have stuff with me that I want to make sure not to like throw in the ocean. Yep. Leave it nicer than you found it. Though I did lose my sunglasses last year in the ocean and I feel kind of bad. They were really nice. So <laughs> <laughs> Jeff Foxworthy has a joke about if you lose nice sunglasses, you'll never see them again. And you'll lose them about 12 minutes after you bought them. But if you lose like those $9 gas station ones, you could be in the middle of the Pacific Ocean and they'll fall off your boat and a diver will come up and be like, I found your sunglasses. <laughs> These were like really nice. They You'll never they see them tra- again. I know I won't. They were transition <laughs> lenses so I could drive so that like... They would not be so dark in the car, but then when I got out to the beach, they would be darker, mm-hmm. and I miss them, uh, and I'm sorry, Ocean. <laughs> it's my offering to you, sad as it is. Say la vie. Yeah. I hope a pelican uh, gives it to a capybara family. Aw. <laughs> little capybara wearing my wearing my nice sunglasses that would be pretty cute at least yeah it would be cute all right so you can find us at where does it podcast at gmail.com if you want to tell us about finding stuff and you can find us at where does it podcast.com if you want to see all the episodes we have because sarah makes beautiful graphics for each episode and you can find us on twitter and instagram and we also have a patreon that we've done nothing with so we should get on that (laughs) that's just a reminder for when i edit this so that we actually do it (laughs) oh and you can also if you don't want to like do a monthly subscription of giving us money you can also just donate if you want to buy us a cup of coffee or whatever that's a or, fact. Or bubble tea, since <gasps> we drink bubble tea frequently, or we did before COVID. Oh, I want some so bad. I know. Oh, we should talk about where those little boba bubbles go, because I don't think they're digestible. They're not? <laughs> well, that's think... a thing to talk about. <laughs> Thank you. Bye.